Obviously, with the wrap on my hand, you can tell that I had surgery again. So we'll see how this one turns out. Hopefully, it turns out better than the last one did. So tonight, we're going to start covering Jonah again. Last week, we, or the last time we got together, we covered chapter one of Jonah. Tonight, we are going to cover chapter two of Jonah. And this is a pretty unique chapter. I want you guys to remember when you, when you go through this story tonight that this is a true story. But right now, what I want you guys to do is I want you to talk at your tables for just a second. I'm going to give you an example, Okay. The first question is, where's the, where, where's the most unusual place or the strangest place that you've ever prayed? And for me now, I can tell you guys it was last Thursday about 7.30 in the morning when I was laying on the operating table and they had wheeled me back and I was getting ready for my surgery. They had not knocked me out. Normally, they really knock you loopy before you get back into the operating room. So this time I'm back in the operating room and I'm wide awake. They didn't give me any sedatives or nothing to kind of slow me down. I'm, I'm wheeled into the room and I'm on the cart and looking around in this operating room and all the machines. And, and I've had like nine surgeries in my life, so I know what surgery's like. So I asked him, I said, what music are we listening to today? Because I know there is not a surgeon on the planet that doesn't rock out to something while they're doing surgery. Well, my doctor happened to listen to the Rolling Stones. <clears throat> but as I'm laying there, they picked me up, got me out of this bed, got me onto the other bed that they're going to do the surgery on. And they had my arms out like this, and I'm laying flat on my back. And they had me scoot over a little bit, so they had my wrist positioned exactly where that doctor wanted it, and they wouldn't have to move me anymore. And they wrapped a cuff around here and got started on me. But as I was laying there, it was pretty cool in my own experience. And this is probably the strangest place I have ever prayed has been an operating room. But I'm laying on my back, staring up at the ceiling, thinking to myself, well, here I am. My, I'm in your hands. And I'm laying there on my back. Nobody in the room knows it except me, but I'm praying like crazy calling out to God before that guy says, okay, Dan, you're pretty quick. You're going to be, you're going to feel a little bit of a burn and you're going to feel a little dizzy. He says, I'm going to slip you a Mickey, he said. <laughs> Just like, okay. So the question at the table tonight is, where's the strangest place you have ever prayed in your Christian experience? Turn your tables, talk about that for a few minutes and we'll come back. I'm going to go ahead and break this down a little bit for you guys tonight. I'm actually going to read chapter 2 here in just a few minutes. It's only 10 verses, and I want to read it, and kind of, as I read it, I'm going to break it down for you guys. I'll be stopping along the way. You've got it in your bulletin, so if you do not have a bulletin, you'll need one of these tonight to follow along with the scripture that we got. That's on the right side of your page. The big idea tonight is Jonah, last week, last time we got together, he ran, he was running from God. Tonight, he runs to God. That's the whole theme. You see Jonah running away from God the last time. And now God, tonight that we'll cover, we see God, Jonah kind of running toward God. But the big question tonight is this. Do you tend to run to or from God when things get bad? Let me rephrase that. Do you, because I know you run to God, if I can say it this way, eventually we run to God. But for some reason, and I think the Bible's got it right when, they, when the Bible refers to us as sheep, we're dumber than a box of rocks. And we know where to go, but we will do everything in our own power to make sure we make it work out okay. And then when we figure out, listen, I'm at my last, I'm, I'm at death's door, whatever that is, things are just too hard for me, that's when we turn to God. Knowing the whole time we should do it anyway, but for whatever reason, we are slow to turn to the things of God. But tonight what I want to do is the first, the first point I have tonight is I want to look at Jonah's dilemma and Jonah's dilemma will give me an opportunity to kind of wrap up, review chapter one, if I can put it that way. So reviewing chapter one, we know that God spoke to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, go to Nineveh, and I want you to testify to, to them because their evil has rose up before me. 
So Jonah, as we all know, last time we got together, most of you were in the room. What did Jonah do? He took off the other direction. God asked Jonah to go 500 miles to the east. Jonah's desire was to go 2,500 miles to the west. Now, Jonah knew he wasn't going to be able to leave the presence of God. Jonah's a prophet. A lot of people refer to Jonah as the pouting prophet. But Jonah is a prophet. He is a man of God. He would be a Christian. And I'm pretty sure that all you students in the room know that you can't run from God. Would we all agree with that? You're never going to run from his presence. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. He sees you no matter what you're doing or what you're clicking on or who you're talking about. He's always there. For Jonah to say that he's going to flee from God, Jonah knows he's not going to flee from God, but I want to make sure and get this point across because it's important within what we're going to read tonight. In those days, there was a temple of the Lord where the Lord, the God, the, 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 the God of Israel dwelt. So Jonah's basically leaving that spot. He's leaving that area, and he's getting away from that area, thinking because he doesn't want to go witness to the Ninevites, because as you guys remember, the Ninevites were evil, just dirt, nasty people. They would peep people's heads on stake. They would, they, would, they would skin their enemy that they defeated. They would actually skin them alive and hang them on the wall of the city. These people were just evil, and they were a horribly bad enemy of Israel. <clears throat> Jonah runs. We know he got on the boat. Got on the boat. Sailors ended up throwing him overboard. Because, he, because the storm came and God was chasing Jonah down, basically, is what was happening. So Jonah's dilemma was something that he caused. Jonah's dilemma, he, was in, he got put to fish. In chapter 1, verse 17, it says this. I, like, I highlighted this in your bulletin. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah is in a fish. The dude is swimming around in the guts of whatever kind of fish this was. And when you think about it, there's all sorts of studies done on what type of fish this was. Here's what I would say. God provided whatever fish needed to be had that Jonah could be swallowed. Because this story is a true story. This is not an allegory. This actually happened. So you got to get your arms around the idea that, like we talked about the last time, we don't balk at the Red Sea. We don't balk at the crossing of the Jordan. We don't balk at the resurrection of the dead. But yet we'll fight over, the, was the fish really real and is this story really true? God provides miracles and he provides what we need when we need them. And when it says, now the Lord God provided, Jonah had made a run for it. The sailors threw him in the ocean and he's about ready to drown. He's, Jonah doesn't know the end of this story. See, we do. So we sit back on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning. We're like, yeah, yeah, we know the end of the story. He swallows a fish, fish pukes him out, ain't that great. But Jonah did not know this. So for a moment, would you please? I wonder what it sounded like in the belly of the fish. Is it like this? Quiet? Close your eyes. Was this what it was like in the belly of the fish? Think about Jonah. Put yourself in his position. He was running from God. He couldn't get away from God. His desire was to go 2,500 miles west of where God wanted him to go. God found him on the ship, had the sailors throw him into the sea, and Jonah is drowning. He's going to the bottom of the ocean. And all of the sudden, the Lord provided a great fish. Was it quiet? Have you ever heard your belly growl? Was it like that? I don't know how big this fish had to be, but when his belly growled, I would imagine it vibrated things a little bit. Jonah's got seaweed wrapped around his head. Jonah's in the dark of a belly 
of a fish. Open your eyes. But this fish was sent to preserve Jonah's life. When you feel like you're drowning and there is nowhere else to go, God, listen, God will provide you a fish. He will provide what you need to sustain your life. Do you genuinely believe that though? Or is this just like another Wednesday night where I'm like, yeah, whatever. When you're in the water in the deep end and you don't know what to do and you know you got yourself in the stew, here's what I wrote down. If we were totally honest with each other, watch this. If we were totally honest, we're exactly like Jonah. We are no different than Jonah at all. We ran from God when things get tough. But then when things get tough, we run to God. And we're looking for his help, aren't we? And that's where we find Jonah. He's in the stomach of a fish. But you have to know tonight that when you feel like you're going to drown, God will provide exactly what you need to sustain your life, to sustain a relationship with him. Throughout this prayer, we're going to see, the, throughout the prayer that we're going to read here in just a minute, we're going to see Jonah acknowledging that God was disciplining him and he deserved it. Has God ever taken you to the woodshed? That's the old term. Take you out behind the barn and get the switch out. Has God ever taken you and disciplined you and you've actually had the nerve to go, I kind of deserve it, Lord. I'm here because of my own doing. You see, Jonah was, God had to provide Jonah a fish because of Jonah's own doing. Jonah deserved the discipline. There's four ways. If you read in chapter or Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, when you get a chance to read that, there's four ways that you see that we can respond to God's discipline. When you're being disciplined by God and you've been a brat and you deserve it, here's what you get to look at. You can either despise the discipline. Think about your parents for a second. You ready? Think about your mom and dad at home. When they discipline you, do you really believe that you deserve it and have you despised their discipline? Because you'll do it with God. Have you been discouraged because you're being disciplined? Have you resisted it? Or have you submitted to it? Have you actually submitted to God's discipline going, Lord, you love me enough. Thank you for doing this with me. Thank you for getting me in the belly of a fish where you can get my attention again and where I can turn my life around and I can call on the name of the Lord again. I know this happens to me a lot. And I'm not talking about deep sin. I'm just talking about being a disobedient brat to what God wants you to do. Be kind to someone. Be an encouragement to someone. Be nice to your parents, whatever that is. God will discipline you. Behave with your boyfriend or girlfriend. I don't even know what that is with you guys. But I do know this. Look at it this way. When we walk away from God, we find ourselves in the belly of a fish. Maybe it's because of a broken relationship. I don't know what else to do. I'm lost. I'm stuck. Maybe it's because you're stuck in detention again. And here I sit again. What am I doing, Lord? I don't understand. How do I get here every time? I'm in trouble again with my parents. Whatever that might look like, I want you guys to know we are no different than Jonah. You get yourself in trouble on your phone or social media or you didn't do your homework or whatever that might be. This, this lesson we've got to learn tonight is powerful if we'll, if we'll wrap our arms around it. And watch, I'm going to give you guys a big theological thing. Are you ready? Because I trust you guys enough to get this. I want you guys to hear me. As you get older, I want you to really, really, really grab a hold of this one. Do not rob people of their bottom experience. Do not rob people of their bottom experience. 
We need to hit rock bottom because that's where God wants us so God can do a work in our heart that he wants done. But we love each other and we'll come along and we'll go, Clint, you're okay. It's not that bad. You did, it, it'll be okay. No, you were a stinking sin and dirtbag, you bum, and now you need to get it right with God. And if I get in Clint's way of his rock bottom experience, I'm getting in God's way. We have to know God's voice. We want to be an encouragement to each other. We want to help, as Paul says, restore a brother gently. But we cannot try to get in the way between a person who's in sin and God who wants to drag him through a knothole. We cannot step in there and try to stop this. Rock bottom experiences are real and we need them because that's where we learn from God's discipline. But remember, we can despise it, we can be discouraged by it, we can resist it, or we can do like Jonah does here and we could submit to it. Now, I'll look at the second point and then I'm going to work through the scripture. Jonah's distress is the second thing we're going to see. Jonah's prayer was written in a style of a poem. In this portion of scripture, it's written in a style of a poem. And the reason why is because these words, he is in despair. He's in distress, and he has lost. Poetry is used to express the deepest emotions, emotions that run deeper than regular words or sentences are able to express to you. So when I'm going to read this to you guys, I really want you to put yourself in the place of Jonah for a minute, because that's why Jonah writes this in a, in a style of poetry, because he is lost. Jonah's distress finally leads him to submit to the will of God in prayer. He was running from God. And where Jonah's at in this fish, God finally got him right where he wants him. But it's to sustain his life, not take it. But watch, his prayer was born out of affliction, not affection. Do you hear me? Jonah's prayer was born out of affliction, not affection for God. It was born out of a place where he was still, his heart was still not right as he starts this scripture. When he's tossed over the edge of the boat and he's drowning and he's sinking into the sea, his prayer came out of affliction because he was in trouble, not an affection for God. This, the situation he gives, he, he describes his situation with graphic detail. And he also acknowledges that God is the one who rescued him from this, rescued him from drowning. So when I read this, I want you guys to see that, that he, it's written in a poem to express his words and his distress finally drove him to, to submit to God's will. And when we see Jonah's soul was about to sink into the darkness, listen, when Jonah's in the, in the water and he's, he's about to drown and he doesn't know what to do, in his darkest moment, you know what Jonah did? He remembered. See, that's on us. When we're in our darkest moments and we don't know what to do, we need to remember. We need to be like the prodigal son when he was in the hog pit and feeding the hogs, if you remember that story, it says he came to his senses. The guy had left home. He, he, Jonah's kind of the same parallel to the story. The guy had left home. He was on the run. And the prodigal leaves. He says, Dad, give me all my money. I'm out of here. And he goes and he ends up partying and blowing all of his money on his friends and partying and having a great time until he's lost everything. And he's in a hog pit. And this guy's a Jew. This is like Jonah. You can't get any deeper than a hog pit if you're a Jew. And he's looking at eating their food. And you know what the prodigal son remembered? How good his father was back home. He remembered his father's goodness. That's what turned his heart to home. And watch. Watch me. Watch this. I want you guys to see this. When the prodigal looked at his dad and he said, I want all my money. Give me my money. Which basically he's saying, I wish you were dead, dad. 
the prodigal's heart had already left. He was looking at his dad physically, but his heart was already off in wild living. And when the prodigal was sitting in the, sitting in the hog pit, and he's, he's sitting here, and he doesn't know what to do, and he's, he's lost everything, and he remembers, like Jonah did here, he remembered how good God is. Before the prodigal son ever took a step, his heart went home, and then his body followed. Where your heart goes, your body will follow, people, I promise. And when you see Jonah, tonight when I read this, Jonah is stuck in a fish, and Jonah doesn't know he's going to be puked out. Keep these things in mind as I read this scripture. So turn to Jonah chapter 2, or on your page there. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Jonah chapter 2. Chapter two. <clears throat> I'm just going to read through it. I'll, I'll start with verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights, or of a fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord God and said, I am in distress. I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Do you notice that? Watch these two different things. Now, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. God's in the middle of what's going on here. From the deep of the realm, I was dead and called for help. Jonah's not dead physically. He's just in a spot where he feels like he's dying. And you listened to my cry. He called and he answered and then he says, you, God, listen to my cry. You hurled me into the depths of the sea. You know Jonah knows what he's done is wrong and he's being disciplined for his own, he deserves it. You hurled me into the depths of the sea, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Look at me. Remember the prodigal? Jonah's in the belly of a fish, and Jonah's heart changed. Jonah said, I will look once again to your holy temple. His heart moved. He didn't move physically yet. He didn't know he was going to get out of the fish, but his heart changed. He turned his heart back toward God before he ever moved physically. Verse 5, the engulfing waters threatened me, and the deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down, and the earth beneath me barred me in forever. Now watch this. That's Jonah's distress. So you see Jonah admitting to God that I've done this. I'm here because you made me, but I know you're the one that's provided this for me. We'll find out that. That's Jonah's distress. And, but I want you guys to really get this with the prodigal part of this, because when your heart turns from God, your body will follow. But if your heart turns back to God your body will follow, and so will your behavior. Now we see, the next thing we see is Jonah's deliverance. And then we see Jonah's deliverance beginning in verse 6b, because he, he acknowledges God rescued him from when he was drowned here. So it says here, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up out of the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. See his heart? To those who cling to worthless idols, they turn away from God's love from them. Pause again. I've often tried to explain to someone what an idol is. And this is a good definition, I believe, of what an idol is. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. 
So you literally turn away from God. When you're turning to an idol, looking to something other than God to help you fulfill the things in your life, you're literally turning away from the love of God. I want you to see Christ on the cross when you turn away. Because God showed his love for us in, in such that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that is the definition, a good definition of what an idol looks like is when you feel like you've turned your heart away from God. But I, verse, verse 9, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good, and I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Watch the transition here. Work with me on this one for just a second. Pay keen attention. Go back to verse 9. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. That's back at the temple. He's not even moved a step. But in his heart, he's willing to sacrifice. What are you willing to sacrifice to God? If this was you in the belly of this fish, what would you be willing to sacrifice? In those days, it were sacrificial things they did. Nobody's real clear on what Jonah did or what he offered up as a sacrifice later. But what's Romans 12, 1 tell us, 1 and 2? Offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. Are you willing to offer yourselves like Jonah as a living sacrifice to God? And he says, what I have vowed I will make good. And I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. I can't help but think. I've done a ton of reading and studying on this the last couple of weeks. But I can't help but think, what was Jonah told to do by God? Go to Nineveh. Right? Tell him about God's grace. And he says here, what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, Salvation comes from the Lord. And, verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited him up onto dry ground. Pretty cool, isn't it? When you watch how Jonah is in the belly of this fish, you look at his dilemma that he's in because of what he's done and he knows he's been disobedient to God. And then you look at the distress that he's in and the words that he uses and the depth of his prayer and he doesn't know he's going to get out. You see, we don't know we're going to get out of what we're in when we're in it. We don't know, but I know who's in it with me. And if we will get our arms around that as Christians, it will change everything for you. The deep despair and the distress that Jonah had, he had no idea God was going to rescue him the way he did. But he knew God swallowed him up with a fish that kept him from drowning. And I would imagine after three days, and when they say Jonah prayed after three days, Jonah prayed. I can't ever wonder if this was Jonah going... Well, day one, I don't know how you don't got to watch. You can't see anything. It's dark. But you get a sense that, okay, I'm still alive. Day two, I'm still here. And day three, just like us, what's Jonah start to do? He starts to pray. But when he did that, he remembered the goodness of God. And as soon as his heart turned back to being obedient before he ever took a step toward Nineveh, God had the fish puke him up on the shore. And then when Jonah got up, Jonah went. This pattern of what you see, when you get in a dilemma, you have to ask yourselves, am I the one causing this, Lord? Or is this just being in a fallen world and a frail body? It'll help you pray properly. And when you're in distress and you don't know what to do, I want you to remember, when you're in the belly of a fish, we don't know the outcome, but we know who does. And we know, who's a, we, we know who is in us in the darkness with us. And in that we find comfort. And when our hearts turn back and we give ourselves as, offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice back to God again, that deliverance immediately takes place before we ever take a step. But notice one thing. God never changed his mind. 
Jonah's heart changed. God never changes his mind in scripture. It's our hearts bend to him as Lord. He does not bend to us as Lord, but God will always provide what you need in the moment that you need it. So turn to your tables, talk about those few things a little bit, and then we'll wrap it up here in just a second. Okay, if I can have everybody's attention back to the front of the room, we'll get this thing wrapped up so we can get out in the snowy night of Wyoming. I want to close with a, I want to close with a couple of thoughts for you guys, okay? So tonight I want you to remember that we're not any different than Jonah. And we need to remember that when we mess up, when we mess up, when we walk away, when we sin, God's greatest desire is to restore the relationship between himself and us. Because we're the ones that have walked away. We're the ones that have gone into sin. But God does everything he can to put you where you need to be to hear his voice so you have an opportunity to repent and turn your heart back to him. He's already done everything he needs to do. He's offered his son up as a living, as a sacrifice for us. We have forgiveness of sin. But our part is to confess sin. Because in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we, are, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So when you're like Jonah and you make a run for it, I want you guys to know that all you have to do is turn your hearts back to him and confess your sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive you. But we had a discussion at a table, a couple tables while I was moving around the room, and it, a thought come up, and I'm going to share with you guys in closing. I wasn't planning on this, but I, I'm hoping I can make this make sense. <clears throat> Travis brought this question up at his table. He says, why ultimately, ultimately, why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? And I'm going to answer that question for you. Because he hated the Ninevites, yes. But he knew, he knew if he went to Nineveh and they repented, and we know this from chapter four, and we'll talk about this in a week or so. He knew if the Ninevites repented, that God would relent and not destroy them. There's a question there that I want you guys to hang on to, and it goes back to the very first question you, well, the second question you guys talked about tonight at your table. How do you have assurance that God is in the midst of what you're going through? How do you know in your heart that God is there? And here's what I would challenge you guys or lay at you guys' feet as a thought tonight. You see, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because that's how well Jonah knew God. How well do you know God? You see, Jonah knew God well enough to know that if he went to Nineveh and he shared and they repented, God would relent. He makes it very clear because in chapter 4, he pitches a hissy fit. He's like, I, he's talking to God, I knew you'd do this. I knew you would do this. I knew if they repented, you'd relent. And it drove Jonah crazy and it made him mad. But see, in chapter 1, the reason why he didn't want to go, because he knew God. He knew God. And he knew God, if the Ninevites would re repent, God would relent. So my question for each one of you tonight is, how well do you know God? Because if you really know the God of the Bible, that question of how do you know God is in the midst of what you're going through will be answered because Scripture says that he will never leave you or forsake you. You read all through Scripture how God engages in our lives and he sends the Holy Spirit as a promise and a helper to walk through life with us. So my encouragement to you is when you read your Bibles, read your Bibles this way to find out who God is not what he does or doesn't do. Because as I was talking to the table with the ladies in the back, the one thing I do know, the longer I get in the tooth and the more I live as a Christian, 
there's been things that have come up in my life to be just boldly honest with you that if I followed God because of what he does or doesn't do, I would have stopped following him years ago. You see, I follow God because of who he is. Because like Jonah, I know who he is. And I know God tells me he's with me and he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He will forgive me if I confess my sin. I know him. Do you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're good. And I'm grateful, Lord, for the opportunity tonight to go through the story of Jonah, even just through chapter two. There's so much stuff. Help us to remember, Lord, when we get ourselves into trouble and we get ourselves like Jonah in a dilemma, help us to analyze, is this something we deserve, the discipline that we're getting? But always remember within that discipline, you provide what we need to sustain our lives and our relationship with you. And then in our distress, oh God, help us to remember your goodness and that you're with us. And then when we're stuck in the belly of that fish ourselves, that we know you're there. Help our hearts to turn toward you in the middle of whatever situation and circumstance we might be in. And help us to not drag our feet when to come to you in prayer. Help us to be quick to pray and to seek your face and find deliverance. Deliverance is only found at the foot of the cross. So help us to remember you always and help us to know you better each and every day by spending time with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.